Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. SB Nation and Underdog Dynasty present the Underdog Podcast. And we're back with another episode of the Underdog Dynasty Podcast, AAC Edition. My name is Dan Morrison. That is Emily Van Buskirk. How are you doing today, Emily? I am doing fantastic. How are you doing? I'm all right. I'm I'm a little bit tired. <laughs> oh, no. I'm all right. I thought we were both going to be on the same page and be like, yeah, rah, rah. Um, it's the last week of regular season, baby. Yeah, this is the time of year where I'm constantly tired. Though, like, if Aww. you, I think you know this because you're also in college sports media. This is a very busy part of the season. Yeah, I, yeah. Championship races. You've got playoff yeah. scenarios. You've just rivalry week. Uh, college basketball started up. So if you do any writing about college basketball, you've got all these like early season tournaments going on. Uh, mm-hmm. If you know, if you get into silly season with coaching stuff, Lane Kiffin is going to be the end of me. With all his scenarios. Oh, I mean, I don't like Lane Kiffin, but that tweet was pretty funny. Like, I will give him that. Guy is out there. I also He's like, something else. He's something else. Yeah. I, we don't need to do Lane Kiffin talk yeah, on the AAC podcast. I'm okay with that. My, my point is there's so much going on with all that stuff. Like, I'm seeing Matt Rule go flip-flop back and forth on Nebraska. I'm, mm-hmm. I'm tired, Emily. But I'm excited because this is our year at the same time for sports things because it is so hectic and there's always something to care about, you know. So yeah, good and bad with it. I'm Um, excited because we made it to then. You know, we're we're gonna recap week 12 and then preview week 13, and that's that's a wrap on the regular season, which is you know it's it's another one in the bank. That's a wrap on the regular season if you don't count Army Navy as regular season. I mean, for the AAC, well, I guess, yeah, Navy is, okay. For the rest of the AAC, that's a wrap. I I know what you mean. I do count Army-Navy, but I always think of it as like a postseason, like extra. It is. It almost feels more like a bowl game than it does. Yeah, it kind of is. It does. Yeah. Anyways, we should go back and recap week 12 in the American. Let's do it. Before we move on. And uh, we're going to start with Thursday night's game, which feels like a century ago now to me. Uh, Tulane 59, yes. SMU 24, and it really wasn't that close. Mm. Uh, oh, boy. <laughs> this, <laughs> this is mass beating. Yeah, I don't. Yes. I thought Tulane was going to win this game. I did not see them destroying SMU. So basically what happened. I told you. I, I don't know why nobody listens to me, and I have to say it. SMU is not as good as everybody thought they were. They had a couple of good games. They put things together really well. They're obviously smart kids. They're talented. They're athletic, but they're not there yet as a team. And that was apparent when they played TCU. So I don't know if you guys remember that game so long ago, but they cannot compete against teams that are, they cannot, well, okay. But TCU, I think is overrated too, to be fair, But, but teams that have a cohesive, complete unit like Tulane and like, TCU, they they just can't compete. So yeah, yeah I mean that's my two watch this game. There's a couple things that are very clear. The first was SMU's defense had no way of stopping anything Tulane did. You just mm-hmm. hand it to Spears and he ran for 30 yards. It was just was that's it was like yeah the easiest offense you've ever seen. Uh, the other thing was it was kind of the opposite of what happened to Tulane in the UCF game. Like and against UCF, Tulane really couldn't stop UCF's running and. So the thing that really beat Tulane against UCF was UCF's ability to run the ball. It wasn't really the passing game, right? But against SMU, well, they don't really mm-hmm. run the ball that well. And they tried to throw it and run their little screen passes and over and over, <laughs> that type of thing. And Tulane secondary was just too good, and they blew it up every time. And, you know, I wasn't impressed with Mordecai at all in this game. He's going pro, by mm-hmm. the way. declared it officially. Um, this is his last or I guess last two games, assuming he plays in the bowl. Um, 
which we don't know anymore if people are gonna no do that, which is like a thing. So that's I think he probably should. I think he'd do well to put more stuff on tape. He's not Bryce Young, but you know. Um, yes. Yeah, five SMU turnovers, that doesn't help. Oof. Uh I don't know what else there's to say other than I mean, shout out to the tight end for SMU Maryland. He's a young player. He's a very good player. Mm-hmm. RJ Maryland. Mm-hmm. Yeah, RJ Maryland. He's basically the only one who showed up for SMU in this game. Uh, yes. Yeah. I, I did see one reporter after the game. Oh, uh, boy. The, the Rhett Lashley question. <laughs> yeah. Are you asking me if I'm embarrassed? Yeah, yeah. we are. <laughs> like, are you embarrassed by losing by, what is it? <laughs> he didn't like, use that word, but he was like, he kind of insinuated and coach was like, are you asking me if I'm embarrassed that we lost the my And he's like, yeah, I'm embarrassed. <laughs> the daggers that Lashley stared at him. Oh I would have wet myself and never asked a question. I, it was uncomfortable <laughs> watching the video. I was just like, oh my God, he's staring at me. But um, I'll say one thing about this game and, that, and then we can move on because obviously it's pretty clear cut. Michael Pratt earning uh, offensive player of the week honors for the American. He had six, touchdown figured into six touchdowns in the win which is a lot for Pratt for Michael Pratt okay uh he was nine of 14 for 141 yards and three touchdowns and he added 70 rushing yards on 10 carries with another three touchdowns um yeah so he you know I don't he ranked second hmm I was going to say, you're not the biggest fan of him, but he was very, very efficient in this game. But here's my here's my rub about it. Yes, his pass efficiency was 157.29. He's only thrown four interceptions, the fewest of any starting quarterback in the conference. Yes, he is. A, I have said this many times. He's a good quarterback. You know, we acknowledge that. We get it. I don't always believe in his decision making. OK, there were many times that he had players wide open in the end zone. One in particular, he had Will Wallace, the tight end in the back of the end zone, completely open. And he decides to run head first into a guy nearly injuring himself. For what? Another touchdown on his tally? Like, come on, man. Well, I mean, the passing touchdowns on his tally, too. Um, no, we... We spoke about that when it happened live about how open that throw was, and it was a it's insane. A bunch of people on Twitter twi- chimed in about it and was like, "This is." We all saw that. We all saw it, and so there was a couple of times like that where I'm like, "Hey, stop putting yourself in da-. like sometimes." And he makes hits look way worse than they are. I don't know if it's body, the way that he, the well, sound it makes. I don't know, but he. That's a thick player. No, I think he's, he's almost almost like he if he put on a little more weight, he could be. He's a big head. But every time he hits something, it just it looks worse than it is. It sounds worse than it is. So I'm just like, don't do it. Just say, don't do that. Just like make the pass, the 10 yard pass to your player. And, and that's fine. So that was my issue with Tulane. Otherwise, you know, we'll get into their big game with Cincinnati next week with a very special guest in the second yeah. half of the podcast joining us from the Tulane roster. So stay tuned for that. But yeah, it's called big a win for the Green Wave. It absolutely was. Got back on track. Moving on to Friday night's game, Tulsa forty-eight, mm-hmm. USF forty-two. Uh, mm. How do we feel about this game? I think it was entertaining to watch. If that's what you care about, um, yeah, it's. I think Tulsa, it was competitive. I think Tulsa let USF's third-string quarterback score forty-two points. I think that's an mm. issue. I think mm. USF's defense is still egregiously bad, and that was made pretty clear by Tulsa scoring 48. Prince had a great game. I mean, USF did the thing where they just have really good athletes, and they got got them the ball and allowed them to be really good athletes, and Tulsa doesn't have as – USF is by far the more talented roster for getting into it between these two teams, and I think that showed. I also think it showed that there's something – especially on the defensive side of the ball, just dysfunctional about USF still. And that's not going to change this year. There's just not no time for it to change. You know? Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. I guess if I'm a USF fan, I look at a game like this, and as long as the transfer portal doesn't take half your roster, yeah. I'd say, I can see where there's a little bit of light if you get a better coach. You know, it's an interim situation. I just, I mean, if you're USF, you're just waiting for it to be over. This was, it was an interesting game. You know, Byron Brown, freshman quarterback, obviously he gets 
honor roll. He's the only one in this game that got honored in on the honor roll part of the weekly honors mm-hmm. for, I mean, 21 of 25 for 240 yards, three touchdowns and a rushing touchdown. Yeah. That's for his first career start. That's incredible. He completed 21 consecutive passes to start the game. So, okay. You give credit where credit's due to this freshman quarterback coming in on a, you know, riding in on a horse, saving what's little left of this program at this point. And you got to give him props for that. But then you look at Brian Batty. I mean, he had an incredible game, fourth straight hundred yard rushing game posted a thousand yard rushing for the season. He's only the sixth USF player to do so, by the way, um, he had a career high 169 yards and a touchdown on just 19 carries. What does that, is that not equally impressive as are we I just going to give honors to quarterbacks now? Is that what it is? Pretty much. Yeah. Why? That's very frustrating for me. I'm upset about it. Um, other than that, you know, we don't, we have to see Braylon Braxton play again, which, I mean, he got, he had a lot of yards and Daenerys Prince ran for 219 yards, which was beastly of him, but it's just not the same. It's not the same Tulsa team, you know, no, it's just it, not. And I've said it all season. They lost a few pieces on their defense. That made that defense mm-hmm. pretty formidable. And they lost the things on the interior of both offensive and defensive lines that gave them their identity. To me, this has been right. a small year that has had, identity issues for a part of the year it looked like they might just be like hey, hey we're going to lean to the, more of an air raid kind of attack but Brent's had some injury issues and yeah it hasn't worked out that way at the end and you more often than not can't run the ball or when you do it's because prince is going up against a bad defense you know right. what I mean? and i think Brent is such a leader too even though you know and just not having him there is it's is hard yeah, yeah. so I think there's a lot of hope for USF because really where else can you go? But Tulsa, I think they might have to take a look in the mirror, right? I think the thing with Tulsa is it's such a hard job. You have to go, you have to balance Philip Montgomery's entire time. He's made an AAC championship game. He's had a couple of good seasons, but when it's bad there, it's super bad under him. Yeah. It's just, and it's yeah. more often bad than it is good is my problem with Tulsa. Yes, Mm-hmm. Um, moving on yeah navy 17 ucf 14 <laughs> i was at this game and let me tell you what i am so happy gus melzahn never has to coach against navy again <laughs> he has no idea what he's looking at again. yeah yeah he that was tough in the first half i thought he was okay so mm-hmm. first off i want to give navy credit especially on the defensive side of the ball uh, yes yeah. Since the second half of the Notre Dame game through this entire game, they have been on an absolute heater defensively. Uh, Brian Newberry, their defense coordinator, and his bag of tricks for disguising pass rush absolutely confused confused the crap out of Notre Dame in the second half of that game. Notre Dame had, I think it was 12 yards of offense in the second half of that game. UCF pretty much equally confused the whole game, other than every now and again. You know what I mean? Yeah. Lots and lots of pressure. Uh, full credit there do i give navy's credit offense any credit mm, a little bit i guess 17 <laughs> much they ran three plays all game it was triple option left triple option right quarterback sneak uh wingback sweep that's the only things they ran all game they tried to throw a couple times and took it works zero passing yards on the day that's not a first yeah. navy. they do that no i mean credit to navy because they got they were able to really drain the clock very if you do something well and you could do it well for that long then it doesn't matter if people know oh the thing about navy is if you do something well and you could do it well for an entire game it doesn't matter if it's basic or you know standard or people know it's coming it doesn't matter if you do it well you do it well and you could do it against anybody so they came in they executed the game plan that they're good at they ran the clock like a <laughs> freaking beast and they were not they weren't penalized because they're the least penalized team in the nation they're very disciplined they just they're well-oiled machine when it's going right you know and so that's what they have going for them john marshall senior linebacker for navy earned defensive player of the week honors for in the aac he plays the striker position um set a school record for four sacks to go with his 10 tackles and a forced fumble that set up the game-winning field goal in the win. he All of his four sacks came in the second half as the midshipmen held the Knights scoreless on their final five possessions. Marshall leads the American with a school record 10 and a half sacks 
in 2022. So defensively, they were anchored by that. Offensively, we've got another honorable mention for a Navy player, sophomore fullback, Dava Fofana, rushed for 114 yards on 20 carries and set up the midshipman's first touchdown with a 46-yard run. So I would say it's a pretty complete game for Mm. Navy. Yeah, it's exactly how Navy wants to win games on the side of it. They benched John Rice Plumley coming out of halftime after the game. Mm. Kind of said that Plumley was having a shoulder issue. I don't buy that for a second. <laughs> I think Gus benched him because he was having a bad first half, and he went to Mikey Keene, and Keene played like shit. But he couldn't go yeah. back in game. You know, what I mean, it's too much flip flopping at a certain point. Yeah, and the you make shoulder, a choice like that, you got to stick with it. Unfortunately, and the shoulder issue is his excuse to go back to Plumley for the USF game. Because Mikey Keene mm-hmm. had the initial drive out of half where they scored super quickly, and then he sucked. He sucked. I mean, I was at this game. There's UCF fans, like, in the first half screaming, we need Keene, Keene, about halfway through the third quarter. What did they say when he went in? <laughs> the huge cheers when he came in about halfway through okay. the third quarter, the same people are going, we should put Plumley back in. This is bad. <laughs> okay, my question is, did, did UCF fans stay the whole game? Yeah, yeah. UCF, I couldn't tell about a minute left in the game when Navy – was just running. when they were yeah. yeah okay when you see a friend out of timeouts that's basically when people left okay. uh, one student section cleared out there's two student sections at ucf for people who don't know on either side of the end zone one was back the whole game one was three quarters full and by the end was half full i was curious how the 11 a.m kick affected it attendance good crowd for 11 okay good crowd that's for good i mean i'd say i'd say i mean i'd say 35 to forty thousand people Nice. Okay. I wasn't, I wasn't sure if that was going to be an issue. So wasn't sold out, but it was a good crowd. Um, Obviously UCF still in this, I mean, despite this loss still in the championship race, depending on what happens next week. And we'll get into that more in the second half, but they're not, they're not down and out yet, Dan, but they are. It's not a good look to lose to a team. That's won three games. I just better not see any more UCF fans claiming we need more Mikey Keene because there were times mm. in this game where he had lanes to run for 20 yards and he threw the ball out of bounds yeah. instead. He, I mean, you, uh, you get a chance like that to show. All those sacks that Marshall had, they're all in the second half because Mikey Keene couldn't get away from him. Plumley could have gone away from most of those sacks. Oh, that's boy. just a fact. He's more yeah. athletic. Well, and you know what? I also say this. Why did Plumley mm-hmm. play bad in the first half? It was on Gus. The play calling was atrocious. Two runs from okay. Plumley to 18 passes in the first half. That's not his game. I know yeah. that Plumley's a limited passer. Yeah, he's a great runner. So if you're not running him, you're having him throw the ball all over the field. Of course, he's not going to play as well as you want him to. Yeah, you know what I mean. It was like the opposite of the two lane game plan, and that stuck. That's interesting, and I'm very curious to know. I think I think I think going from that big, I I don't know. I my theory based on the game was that Mm -hmm. Gus wanted to like he was scared about how few possessions they would have, and he was pressing too soon with the play calling. Yeah. That's my theory. You can't go in scared of Navy. I mean, they are what they are, but man, but I you got to you got to hit them I mean, in the, the mouth. You got to come out and hit them. But Navy's first drive was like a seven and a half minute touchdown drive. <laughs> I think he was like, I mean, like, oh, how many possessions are we going to get? We have to go quick. And I think it backfired. There was, you mean, have to not run the ball enough. Anyways, moving yeah. on. This next yeah, one I'm going to talk about Houston 42, ECU 3. I can't. Like, I just, I just can't. I didn't watch the game to to be honest with you. Um, I did. I I'm upset. I saw the score. I obviously went back and watched you know highlights and part parts of it to try and understand what it was. It was a little bit of so. First off, first off, ECU's defense absolutely abandoned it in the passing. Yeah, just big play after big play, and it's not like Houston was running the ball well. It really was just. The passing attack just giving up big plays. Yeah. Uh, and then the offense couldn't get anything going where it was just like a little mistake stall to drive. Guy drops a pass. There's a bunch of drops in this game. Yeah. Uh, a couple of guys who probably could have had touchdowns that they dropped for ECU. Uh, Ailers maybe. But Clayton Toon, Clayton Toon looked like Clayton Toon of old, you know? Yeah. He was a vintage exactly what you want. Uh, I think yes. he led Houston rushing too, which wasn't saying a ton in this game, but. I know it just it was like a very it felt like a slow blowout where you're like okay well ECU did a little thing wrong there and now it's Houston's ball oh there's a big play and all of a sudden it's like the end of the first half it's like 21 nothing you're like okay this might be like tough to come back and then very quickly in third quarter oh this game's out of reach but like it never necessarily felt like 
I don't it was just so weird to see this coming into the game too. Because Houston was having so much trouble on defense to turn around and do this against a pretty good offense. Very surprising. It's pretty frustrating, especially being at home for ECU, right? Like you hate to see a game like that oh, no. happen yeah. to them at home. At uh, this was senior day. This was your boy Holton Hill's senior day. Okay. It- <laughs> He he just he didn't he didn't have a game. It happens, you know. But I I just don't understand. It was so weird because ECU had zero penalties and zero turnovers. Like they didn't notably. There was like not one thing you could point out that they were clearly doing wrong, other than little things stalling off drives and the defense not. Yeah. Um, the defense didn't play well, but you know what I mean. Well, hats off to Houston for finally looking like the team they were supposed to be all season long, and uh, <laughs> we love we love that for them. They are they are still alive. They're the fourth team in the race for the conference championship. They, I mean, for starters, they need UCF to lose to USF. So it's probably not happening, but weirder things have happened. Yeah. So, and then we have um, one mention for Houston on the honor roll, Nathaniel Dell, senior wide receiver. We all know and love nine catches for 176 yards and a touchdown average 19.6 yards per reception. So yeah, and then Houston weirdly ten and two in la- in its last twelve road games. What is that? They just uh, well, play better on the road. What better energy on the road? There's actually people in the stands. Oof. Okay, that makes sense. I'll I'll accept that answer then. There we go. I will say the uh, ESPN crew who did the game had a really great shot catching Dana's like walking back and forth, pacing the sidelines with the Red Bull in his hand. No way. Yeah. Yeah. It's up. It's a. They're just pounding a Red Bull. Yikes. He's going to... Oh, my God. Okay. Uh, do we even have to talk about the next one? or uh, Memphis 59, North Alabama 0. <laughs> hey, Memphis, you're bowl eligible. Congratulations. They needed it. I did not think they would shut out <laughs> I, anybody, sure. but... I mean... There you I'm, go. Sure. It's North Alabama. <laughs> sure. What else? Uh, I, I think we have one. We played well or not in this game. Well, we've got one honorable mention. Eddie Lewis, senior wide receiver, 155 all-purpose yards with two touchdowns, one receiving, one punt return in the win. And then there were a couple of notes, which I thought were kind of is- interesting about Memphis because they've they've been – we've obviously been a little tough on Memphis. Um, they always put this one note in here. Memphis quarterback Seth Hennigan has thrown at least one touchdown pass in all 22 games of his collegiate career. And I'm like, oh, okay. That's like such a random That's, thing. One touchdown I know. pass. I mean, it's very weird. Shout out to But then I got to give a shout out to their punter, Joe Doyle, second nationally in punting average. What? He punted in this game? No, I don't think he punted in this game, but he's. Um, when you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. But he is recognized nationally. Um, sorry, one second. Uh, he's recognized nationally, uh, 46.9 yards. And it's funny because he's right. I think he's ahead of Cincinnati punter, who actually, Mason Fletcher, who's very good as well. But he he's second nationally, which I think that's that's a weird Memphis stat for you that you would just never know, you know? This actually has a pretty good history of really good special teams, like kickers and stuff. Like uh, Stephen Gostowski went there for one. Patriots kicker. Oh, yeah, that's right. They they have a history of some really good kickers. So, I mean, it's not the same special teams coordinator the entire time for the last two decades, but they do have a history of it. So, yeah, not nothing. Not for nothing. Uh, One more game from week 12 to finish up before we move on. Uh, It's Cincinnati 23, Temple 3. Temple's offense finally hit a legit defense after a couple weeks feeling alive. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> yes. Um, hey, can you stop it for a quick second? Yeah. My fire alarm's going. So, yeah, I mean, it was a nice couple of weeks for Temple's offense feeling like good about itself, but NCP <laughs> still really is way ahead of where they are. Uh, and then that's fine. Uh, 
since these offense still for me is the same old, same old, nothing new with the problems I see from them. There is no running game. The weapons aren't the same as they were last year. And you've got, I still think you've got issues at quarterback. In fact, I know because Ben Bryant left the game with a foot injury and was replaced by Evan Prater in this game. So now you've got a potential injury for your biggest game of the season next week. Yeah. I, mean, I haven't seen the status update other than. The only thing I have to say about the Cincinnati Temple game is obviously I'm sad. I sad for Temple. I want them. Would like to see them do a little better, so that sucks. But it's understandable because Cincinnati is a good team. And big shout out to the special teams, special teams player of the week, Ryan Coe, senior kicker for Cincinnati, scored 11 points, going three for three on field goal attempts, two PATs in the win, keeping the Bearcats tied for first place in the conference standings. We're going to get into that later. He was good from 28, 38, and 24 yards. Not super impressive, no. honestly, but but steady, so that's good. Extending his streak to nine straight success field goal attempts and becoming the most accurate kicker in program history at 81.8%. He's hit 18 of 22 field goals this season, ranking second in the American and made field goals. All from a guy who transferred in from a school that people didn't really know about. Yeah. It's pretty impressive. Yeah, really. We love that. Him. And it was a good, really good pickup for Cincy, who that was a thing they needed to fix after last year. That was bad. Yes. This is how you utilize the transfer portal correctly when it comes to special teams. Now, granted, I don't know how many kickers or punters go in the, the portal, but. Yeah. It's, uh, I mean, enough do. Yeah. It's, we'll see. Hats off to Cincinnati for not having eyes ahead. You know, they at least came in the game, played, did what they needed to do. And not, you know, defense so. Yeah. yeah. At least defense did. The offense <laughs> I just don't think is very good, isn't the thing. I mean, yeah, I agree. So it is what it is. Um, well, that's week 12 in the AAC. Yeah. And I, I think at this point, it'd be a good point to point out that the AAC is going to oh, get oh, a good point to point out. Good point to point out. That's, yeah, it's a good <laughs> sentence. Uh, <laughs> the AAC is going to get the New Year's Six Bowl berth. Uh, if oh, you yes. Look at the AP poll, you'd be like, oh, man, there's like the Sun Belt's really creeping in there. Like they have a good shot. No, that's not what you look at college football playoff rankings. It's Tulane 19, UCF 22 somehow with three losses, uh, and Cincinnati 24. As yeah. long as it's one of those three that wins the conference championship, which I'm going to say 99% certainty that it will be, because Houston's the only other one who's got a very long shot at making it, uh, they should be going to the college football playoff. You want to stop it? Hi. <laughs> All right, we are starting the second half of the podcast where we're going to preview the week 13 games. But before we do that, we are being joined now by a very special guest. We don't get the honor of too many guests because Dan and I have too much talking to do. But every time we do have guests, they tend to be Tulane related, which is kind of nice because, as you know, we've had Corey Dublin on the show before back when he was in his senior year. But now we're joined by senior linebacker Nick Anderson. Welcome to the Underdog Dynasty podcast. Most definitely. Thank you for having me. Of course. We're so excited for this week in the AAC because there's so many things that could happen and we're not going to talk about playoff scenarios with you or championship scenarios with you. But I wanted to give our fans a little bit of um, insight into your football journey specifically and how you kind of found your way to Tulane and, and how that's been going for you. Most definitely. Um, well, for starters, um, Tulane first came across my radar maybe my junior year of high school. Um, my coach had mentioned that it was a great academic school, and academics has always been something high on my priority list. And he mentioned it, and at the time we had a coach come by the school, um, but my head coach at the time was a uh, – uh, let go at the time uh, going into my senior year so I really lost that contact and then going through my senior year I just was a little under recruited being from a small town like Vicksburg Mississippi um towards graduation um and the end of my uh, senior season I had you know a couple of FCS offers um a couple of swag offers but I just had a dream of playing big time division one football so I figured I'd take the junior college route um take a gamble on myself and my own talent um in which I did and I really Enjoyed my time at junior college. Wouldn't trade it for anything in the world. Um, had a great six months there and got a couple offers um, from different schools. An offer from Ole Miss, um, South Alabama, ULL. Um, and then Tulane came. And, you know, it really came down to Ole Miss and Tulane. 
Um, I felt Tulane gave me a great opportunity to come in and just be a part of a family atmosphere, a part of a great program. I feel like, you know, at the time there was a program that was on the rise. Um, I felt I would definitely be more prioritized at Tulane. So, you know, me and my mom came on a visit and just fell in love with the coaching staff, um, just Coach Moose and how genuine he is, um, the way Coach Fritz really loves to run that program. Um, and the type of guys they – were at the time they really held true to that you know you can just tell that they were great genuine guys they weren't guys that were just selling you dreams you can tell by the players interaction with them that everything in the program was true and a good family atmosphere and that's something I wanted to be a part of so yeah that's how I ended up going junior college and coming down here that's awesome everyone that I talked to about Tulane just falls in love with the school, you know, not just the athletics, but the academics, the campus, like the people that are there. And and it's very evident when you go to Yulman that it's just an incredible, you know, group of people and, and school. So that's cool to hear you say that, but you've obviously, the program has been through quite a bit, maybe not as much defensively, but offensively you've been through a couple of coordinators. You guys have had some transition. What do you think has made this season so successful? Do you think you guys finally just gelled together or what has been different to, to get you guys where you are this year? I feel like the reason that we have had such a successful season is truly a testament to all the bad things that has happened. And then, you know, uh, we just went through a lot last year, and I feel like mm-hmm. they brought everybody together. When you look at everything that we went through last year from the hurricane, um, through uh, losses, um, through mm-hmm. different people inside the team dealing with losses of family members and things like that, it just was a lot of things that, you know, gave us every reason to break apart, but we didn't. You know, we only lost maybe two people to the transfer portal, but to have 98% of the team come back after a 2-10 and 10 season really just showed the culture that we have here, the family atmosphere that we have here, and that's really just what has shown true this year. Just the reason that we ha- sitting here right now with uh, nine wins um, and only two losses and really uh, on the verge of flipping the script from last year is just because of the brotherhood, because of the family atmosphere, because of the culture that we have down here at Tulane. So when everybody asks, I feel like that's just the only answer that's, that's really the truth is just the culture that we have. We just decided to come together and all the puzzle pieces just fit perfect for this season. I like that. <laughs> yeah, definitely. Well, I'm wondering in that same vein, kind of, uh, this is, if I'm not mistaken, Tulane's best season record-wise since 98 when Greenway went undefeated. If you're not mistaken. I feel like everybody in the world has been talking about that. Like, okay, well, that is the story. <laughs> I love you, Dan. No, I love you. You're good. I, I, no I have to give yet. you shit. <laughs> okay, I'm not guessing. But no, I was just going to say, is there a point in the season where you knew that you had that potential for that type of season? Because I'm sure you came in there knowing we know that we can be a bowl team. We know that we can, we know that we were better than we were last year in terms of record, at least. Uh, Was there a point we said, oh no, this can be a very special season, not just a good season? I really feel like that came after the Houston game. You know, Houston had been a team that, you know, was projected to win the conference. Um, They're a very, very talented group, a very uh, well-coached outlet. And to see how we battle back, you know, after dealing with the hype of going up to Kansas State and winning and then coming home and losing the next week, to see us transition and go on the road um, and secure an overtime win really just showed us, you know, the – level that we were at and the road ahead of, you know, us really staying together and us really focusing on what we can control, um, not getting too far ahead and having that one and all mentality, you know, the sky's the limit for our season. And that's really what has been tried and true. Um, so I really say the change of point in the season was definitely that Houston game. Awesome. I got that. I mean, that's crazy because we all thought Houston was going to be yeah. the team too. And that has pick. been, yeah. <laughs> they were your pick, but you know, it's, yeah. That's the AAC, baby. That's showbiz. That's just what happens. Conference championships in areas, but they are still technically alive. But (laughs) I mean, yes, we're not going to do that. But yes, Um, I have to ask you a couple of questions about the AAC because people sleep on group of five football, right? Like it's crazy. It's power five. Like no one gives the, the, we're getting more love this year. I will say than ever, you know, Coastal Carolina helped. Y'all have helped. It's been better, but people sleep on it, but it's great, good football and good environment. So my question to you would be, I have a few. The first one is where is your favorite place to play outside of Yulman in the AAC? <laughs> the bounce house. Oh, the bounce house. Dan. <laughs> Oh my God. That is my least favorite place to go to a game because the press box there sways, it moves and it's so scary. Like, no, 
it, it's also incredibly hot there, but it's, I think all yeah, it's hot. Well, he's from Mississippi, yeah. so you're probably yeah. used to the heat. Yeah, I definitely don't. But the bounce house is always, you know, you're always going to get a great atmosphere. Um, when you go down there, you're going to have great fans. Um, just okay. the Florida weather. So, you know, I say the bounce house is at the top of my Are list. the fans nice or are they mean? Um, it depends on where you are. It depends okay. on, you know, coming out of the student section, you might, you know, get called a couple of names <laughs> towards our sideline. You know, they're pretty nice. Okay. Well, that's good. Okay. So then that's the, your favorite. Where is the hardest place in the AAC to play? Mm. It whether has, it's weather or fans or whatever. It has to be, I haven't been to Cincinnati yet. Actually, okay. oh, no. my first time uh, in Newport Stadium. Um, but aside from that, um, I would say Memphis. Memphis, okay. they are having a great season. It's definitely a tough place to play because their fans are literally right behind you, and they definitely giving you an earful. <laughs> um, when we went up there to twenty in twenty nineteen, when they um had their uh, conference championship season, that was just a very very crazy atmosphere. So I say Memphis, when they're you know doing very well in that program, that's a hard place to go. That's what I've heard. I've wanted to go to Liberty. I've never been there, so that's on my list. Um, okay, craziest coach opposing coach you've seen on the sideline and I don't know if this is like a thing that players recognize but for example we were just talking about Dana Holgerson you know running up and down the sideline with a Red Bull in his hand just like because he's a little bit crazy so I ever wonder like if you're on your sideline or, or even on the field and you ever see their coach being crazy if there's one that stands out to you um, on television wise, <laughs> I've seen uh, SMU's coach this year. I think he's a first year guy. He has definitely Brett Lashley, yep. coaches that um definitely give the referees an earful. So it's been <laughs> funny kind of watching him um <laughs> watching him on TV, <laughs> the things that you know the way he just acts with the coaches when he gets upset. Um, Dana is definitely a sight to see yeah. in person. Um, I remember us playing him playing them um just the way he was acting was was kind of funny um but both are two great coaches but you know those would be my top two of you know just funny guys okay. to watch on the sidelines i can see that yeah uh are you nervous about the cold going up to nippert in november honestly not really simply because you know these past two games we've had down in new orleans has really <laughs> prepped us yeah. yes the whole front down here came from nowhere um, so I feel like we're going to be very well prepared um, going up there and playing in the cold. It was freezing at the UCF game and Kim and I were not prepared because it was supposed to be sunny. I was in a skirt. I was, it was so, so cold. So I'm not worried about them going to Cincinnati. It was cold. Right, and then last Thursday it was like 40. 40. <laughs> yeah, that's when I came too, so you lost the sun. Oh, it's cold. Um, okay. I have to ask you, you've had some incredible plays over the course of your career at Tulane. I mean, in general, but at Tulane specifically this year, we got to see now, I don't know if I've ever told you this, but I'm a huge fullbacks fan. This is my favorite position. I know you've played some fullbacks. That's why I'm going to bring this up, but you probably know what I'm going to say. The fake pun against Tulsa. Absolutely. Just chef's kiss. Beautiful. So excited. You got to execute that. Does that rank up in there of like your top, plays that you've had happen at Tulane? I would say that it may not be a top play, but it's definitely a top moment. Um, being a linebacker and being on the defense side of the ball, you know, it's definitely a blessing to say that I have carried the ball in a collegiate football game. And it was on a fake point, which is even more fun. Um, so it's definitely one of the top moments uh, that I'll be able to say in my football career, I was able to run the ball and pick up a first down in a collegiate football game. Epic. Dan, do you want to ask some questions about yeah. – this well, week since, yeah because you've got obviously i don't know if you'd say it's your biggest game of the year but i'd <laughs> say it's probably the biggest game of the year i mean yeah uh what is i guess the first thing what's your number one concern with cincinnati's offense just overall, I feel like those guys are a very disciplined offense. You know, we're going to definitely have to play dif disciplined football on defense because, you know, Cincinnati has been to the past, I think, four conference championships. They've had a great offense each and every year, um, which comes down to them, those guys up there playing disciplined football. So I feel like the biggest challenge is definitely going to be matching their um, discipline, limiting penalties. Um, last week, we got a couple of PIs, um, mm -hmm. got penalties on defense, and then against uh, Central Florida, we had – by six PIs on defensively. Mm -hmm. So just, you know, going out there and playing uh, 
fundamentally sound football is definitely going to be our edge. Um, they have a talented offensive line group, a veteran offensive line group. So definitely trying to get to the passer, Um, whether, you know, they start Ben Bryan or, you know, they uh, start the, the backup. You know, we don't know who's going to start, but mm-hmm. being able to affect the passer. And then also they have two speedy wideouts that do a great job of making great catches um, down the field. Um, So just playing great back in uh, pass defense, uh, which we have all season. And just executing our style of football, I feel we're going to be okay. How would you, let me ask a question, two questions, actually. How would you describe your defensive style of football if you had to use like a word or a phrase? Like what is the Tulane defensive style? Mm. Yeah. I, <laughs> I would say, like, I would say uh, smart and physical. Okay. We run different concepts defensively, but we're able to get in different looks and do different schemes. Uh, Coach Hampson does a great job of, you know, coming up with different game plans for the opponent week in, week out. And we do a great job of executing it, but also we're a very physical team. You know, we're not the biggest uh, group, especially when you just look at us, but we play yeah. with a team on our shoulder. We play with a lot of physicality, and I feel like that's what sets us apart from other defenses, just being able to execute the game plan that our coaches give us and being able to execute very physical. I like that. Okay, who is the hardest quarterback to get to that you've played in your career at Tulane? Mm. I know well, it's a tough one. It was um I y'all probably remember. It was 20 <laughs> It was 2019 mm-hmm. Navy, Navy's quarterback 2019. Uh, yeah. He ended up getting drafted to the Dolphins. Yeah, Malcolm Perry. Malcolm, Malcolm Perry, that's right. Malcolm Perry was a crazy really athlete. crazy athlete. Yeah, the the triple was fun. I mean, yeah, the triple option stuff, but that's <laughs> impressive that he that he called out Malcolm Perry. I I respect that. Okay, yeah. not who I thought you were going to say. So I'm like, wow. Yeah. Uh, uh, right, anyways, back to Cincinnati. Yeah. Sorry. Well, as you say, you mentioned Coach Hampton. What's your relationship like with him? Is it more he's the defense coordinator, and I'm more with my position coach, or is it a good back and forth with him? And Coach Hampton, he's he's like a, a father figure to me. He, me and him are, are very close. We have a great relationship. Um, we call each other all the time, uh, not to just talk about football, but to just talk about life, just to joke around sometimes. Sometimes we've seen each other memes and stuff. So, like, he's definitely, you know, one of my close mentors um, and definitely somebody that I consider family outside of football. Nice. Absolutely. Uh, probably going to be a head coach someday. Most definitely. Oh. He deserves to be. I think so too. Do you uh, think I have a Cincinnati question? Sorry, Dan. Do you yeah. think Willie Fritz is going to dial up some? So I know you guys practice all kind of scenarios for these kinds of games because you really never know what's going to come out. Like, do you need the fake punt? Are you going to need a fake field goal? I don't know. Who really knows? But you practice them all. Do you think Coach Fritz, who's been known to dial up some plays in the ends of games that are close, do you think he's going to bring it and be ready for this? I definitely feel like Coach Freeze is always prepared to do something to win the game. Um, He's a great decision maker. You know, he doesn't really, you know, sweat in those times. You know, you mm-hmm. saw the uh, quarterback sneak to go for it for us to seal the win against Kansas State. Um, And he just makes mm-hmm. great decisions when we uh, need him. So I definitely feel like he definitely, you know, has a game plan ready for Cincinnati. And I'm excited to see it myself. <laughs> <laughs> Me too. <laughs> nice. Uh, then – what do you think when you're going up against, I guess, anyone, but I'll say Cincinnati because that's who you're playing this week. What's more important if you want to get to the quarterback, whoever that might be this week? Is it the pass rush or is it your secondary holding on and giving you time? I feel like with our defense, the style of defense we play, we do more of a drop eight defense. So, you know, it's really good to get, you know, get rushed with three, um, in, in which we were able to do last week against SMU, you know. Uh, but I feel like that's a testament to the coverage, a testament to our back end. I don't feel like our back end, as far as the corners and the safeties, get enough recognition as the job that they do of getting in the way of those passing lanes, helping the quarterback have to second guess himself and giving the guys up front an opportunity to get to them. So it's definitely going to come down to, you know, our corners and our safety is doing a great job on the back end, which is definitely going to affect the passer to where he has to second guess himself and leads to sex. Mm-hmm. I have another question. Does Will Wallace have the best <laughs> hair on the team? I or think no? he does. I yeah. think he does. <laughs> That's a good answer. The only answer, really. <laughs> oh. Great. Okay. You got, got one more football question in you, Dan, or no? <laughs> Yeah, well, you kind of mentioned it already, but I was going to ask you if you guys have some, if you know which quarterback you're preparing for this week at all. It sounds like you're not 100% sure who you're going to see, though. 
Yeah, we're not 100%. I mean, Ben Bryant got injured last uh, week, but the backup, he definitely plays, has played in really every game. You know, they have a definitely a, a game plan for when he comes into the game. We've just been preparing for both. Um, hopefully nobody gets hurt and we don't have to see a third-string quarterback because we <laughs> don't know too much about that. But um, we've definitely been preparing for both quarterbacks and we'll be uh, ready for whichever one we see. Awesome. Well, thank you so much, Nick, for taking this time. And we wish you the best of luck against Cincinnati this week. We're all going to be watching because the fate of the conference depends on this game. So everyone will be tuned in. Um, make sure, Yeah, and it's, it's good. It's a perfect storm for crazy football. So we're all going to be watching. But thank you for coming on. And we look forward to seeing the rest of the season. No problem. Thank you all for having me. Thanks. Yeah, thanks. All right. That was Tulane linebacker Nick Anderson. He's incredible. Make sure you guys go follow him on social media. Um, I'll throw his handle up on Twitter, but he's incredible human being. And he gave us some really good insight into this Cincinnati game on Friday. But Dan, what do you think is going to happen here? Well, I think Tulane's going to win. I do. <laughs> I mean, here's why. And it comes down to Tulane's defense versus Cincy's offense for me. Okay. Uh, first off, you've got questions at quarterback for Cincy, yeah. which we touched on there. Mm-hmm. And this is my opinion, not Nick Anderson's, but mine. <laughs> is that it doesn't really matter because if Ben Bryant plays, he stinks. That stinks. Mm. That's rude, but he's not good enough. He's not ready. We'll just say. Oh, oh he's got to be ready. He's like a fifth-year senior. I so. mean, well, I thought it was uh, interesting how he was like. Hopefully, there's not a third-string quarterback because we you never seen- know. <laughs> I suppose if the third-string quarterback turns out to be a. A John Rex Plumley type who wants to run. You don't I mean, that's it. the thing, and you don't have film on him. So how are you ever going to know? It just yeah. is like, well, if, if I'm a third string quarterback somewhere, I am waiting for that moment where I get to go into a big game, be, no one knows what I can do, and USF I just go Tulsa crazy. Last week, USF Tulsa last week. Uh, okay, yes, kind of that's same kind of thing. Yes. It's an example right there for us. That's uh, what I want for my life. So okay. Anyway, so to I think more of my point though is. Since he's not going to be able to throw in the, since he's most of their offense is going to throw in the ball, I don't think it's been very good this year, anyways. That's mm-hmm. where Julian's strength is as a defense. Since he's really struggled to run the ball, I don't think they're going to find it randomly. So I just mm-hmm. think it's a really good matchup for Tulane's defense to keep it super, you know, to keep Cincy super low scoring. I mean, and you do flip that and you reverse it since he still has a great defense, but I think there's a little bit more room for the weapons that the Green Wave have, like a Ty J Spears, to get enough. I think it's going to be a very low-scoring win for Tulane. Interesting. I want to pick Tulane because that's who I want to win this game because I want them to host the conference championship. I think it would be an incredible ending Better to weather. an incredible season. But I feel like if I pick them, then they won't win. So what do I do here? Okay, so you're trying to not jinx. Yeah. But then what if I jinx them by not picking them? Well, that's a risk you're going to have to take. Okay. I don't. Okay. So I want this to. Okay. First of all, we have Cincinnati's favored by one point the last time I checked, which, uh, which great. <laughs> that's well, not even the three point like home. That's just one point. Like why? <laughs> well, I mean, so that a neutral site, they'd be a slight underdog by like okay. one point. I think Tulane is going to win this game. I really do. Given speaking with the guys last week after the UCF game, like how upset they are and how ready they were for this and how good that they looked in this last game, even though, you know, they were taking out some demons on SMU. I mean, yeah. So I think Tulane's going to win, but I'm going to pick Cincinnati. Oh, oh, you're picking Cincinnati. (laughs) So I don't jinx Tulane. I'm going to pick Cincinnati and I want them to know that I'm, I'm sacrificing my record here. For them. So, so that's cheating. First how off. is that cheating? You're trying to cheat the called f- It's called strategy. Okay. It's called strategy. Okay. Everybody's got to do their part. Okay. 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 Let's get into the Saturday games real quick. <laughs> ECU at Temple. Uh, <laughs> my simple question for this game is which ECU team shows up? Is it a team that mm. can dominate a game on really both sides of the ball, but more so offensively? Yeah. Um, or is it a team that's kind of like, frankly, was sleepwalking last week? You know what I mean? Uh, yeah. Is it a team that, is it a bowl eligible ECU team that's excited about what's going on in the future? Or is it a team that's like, well, here we are. It's Temple to end the season. Yeah. 
know what I mean? Yeah. Their attitude, like in this game, and Temple, same thing, kind of. You know, season's over for Temple, other than this game. What is the how motivated is each team? Is my question, I guess, with relatively nothing to play for. ECU's going to bowl. Temple can't make one. How badly do you want to be there? Yeah, I think ECU is favored by ten and a half. I think a six and five ECU is going to beat a three and eight Temple by at least two scores. I think they're going to exercise some of their own demons from last game. Um, so I'm picking ECU in this game, and I I don't think it's going to be close. All right, I I tend to agree with you. Uh, I'm definitely going with ECU. I don't know that it's going to be a blowout because I do like some of the development we've seen from Temple. Uh, especially on the defensive side of the ball, but yeah, should be. Should be the Pirates relatively easily. Uh, an interesting one, I think, Memphis at SMU. And then, uh, Ooh, this is actually uh, the most, besides Tulane Zinzi, which obviously like the fate of the conference, whatever, yeah, yeah. this Memphis-SMU game, I think is the most interesting game. I agree. Because like, what's going to happen? <laughs> Yeah, well, I think if neither team has a very good defense, (laughs) I think if SMU wins, first off, Ryan Silverfield gets fired. That's a belief I have, not based on any like sourcing or anything like that. It's just a belief I have that he's under a lot of pressure to win this game. Uh, SMU, I'm kind of wondering how many players are really all there at this point. After that, the way they just didn't show up to Tulane soured me on a team I've been very high on all season. I've been so much higher on SMU than you have. You know what I mean? I've thought that this team and I yeah. still believe this team can be incredibly explosive on offense. <sighs> Clearly, I think SMU is a better team than Memphis so I'm going to pick SMU to win but I, I don't think this is, like, I think it's going to be an interesting game. I don't think it's going to be a particularly good game, especially if you like defense but you if, you like, oh, if you like a lot of points then can I tell you something I believe to be true, though I don't know to be true? I believe SMU is going to have a ton of portal activity this offseason. I think you're going to see a large chunk of the team leave in the portal, and I think you're going to see Rhett Lashley bring in a large chunk of next year's team from the portal. This is a thing we're going to see happening a lot with head coaches, where they're not just going to bring in guys their first year, but there's going to be a round of guys who stuck around and said, maybe I'll be with this guy, maybe, and just go, ah, maybe not. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. And I think that there's going to be a round of that with SNU. And I think there's probably a few guys who already know they're going to put their name in and don't 100% care. Yeah. Other than like putting good film on for themselves personally. Well, this would be huge for Ryan Silverfield. If he could win this game, that would be huge. Actually, like I'm not as worried about because this is their first year. You know, it's like whatever. I agree exactly. Yeah. And I think Memphis wins. I think Ryan oh, okay. I think Silverfield saves his job with a win. Interesting. He would save his job with a win, but I don't Most think that's going to happen. But we'll see. I, I still think that he'll be on the hot seat going into next year. Either he way. should, as he should be. Agreed. Yeah. Uh, All right. Moving on. War on, war on I-4 UCF at USF. Uh, it's the last time this game is going to be played for mm. the foreseeable future. So sad. It is. UCF's moving to the Big 12. USF is obviously staying behind. And they both have their out-of-conference filled for the next few years because that's how college football scheduling works as you fill up your schedule five, six, seven years out. So without paying a lot of money to break contracts, they'd have to, they'd just have to wait to play it again. I'm sure they will once they get it scheduled as an out-of-conference game, but it's sad. It is. Yeah. I'm go. Uh, you know, UCF has dominated this game in recent memory. They're by far the better team. They have something to play for. USF really only has spoiler to play for, which is mm-hmm. a big thing to play for in a rivalry game. Um, this is one of those games where it's like, do I think USF is going to win? No, but because it's a rivalry game, could they win? Yeah, maybe. Like, it doesn't make any logical sense, but rivalries do UCF's not make logical sense. You know, UCF's a 20-point favorite. I saw 19 and a half, but yeah. That's 20. That's rounding up to 20. I mean, I, but you're going to sit here and tell me with 100% certainty that nothing weird will happen? No, because I watched last year's game. Yeah. I just watched Cal Stanford and Stanford lost the game. Like, (laughs) you know what I mean? They shouldn't be losing. David Shaw at the end of that game, down by 10, kicking a 61 yard field goal last time. Yeah. The funniest thing of the season. 
Just why? Just why? Uh, but I'm saying, like, they have no business losing that game, but they did. I mean, rivalry uh, games are different. So, I mean, Stanford. I know it's not the same well, situation because talk, Stanford. We can talk. I want to talk a little bit about coaches in this conference once we're done with these previews. Maybe we'll talk okay. about David Shaw too, just for the, just for your sake. I Anyways, want to uh, finish this one. Point. So I'm going to pick UCF, but I expect complete chaos. So okay, I think UCF has it done by halftime. Oof. I think UCF. I think UCF lacked focus last week. I think they know what's on the line in this game, and I think they're the bigger, faster, stronger team. I mean, they definitely are bigger. I don't know about faster. UCF has some track weights. UCF does too. Yeah. We're getting into it. UCF's like entire wide receiving course. I think instead of the football game, they should just have a hundred yard dash between their two fastest guys. I mean, UCF literally has like a bunch of SEC wide receivers. It's incredible how much more talented they are than some of the teams in this conference. And yet, <laughs> and yet they've got two conference losses. To the problem is that they shoot themselves in the foot a lot. So yes. that's the thing is if they can, if they, if they start incurring penalties and doing stupid things, then they can easily lose a game. So yeah, I don't know. I they don't need to be more disciplined. Yeah, that's true. You're right. They do need to be a little bit more disciplined. I just don't yeah. think they can lose this game. Uh, okay. Well, really quickly. We'll I don't, think that this next game is going to warrant a ton of discussion from us. Tulsa mm-hmm. at Houston. <laughs> four and seven Tulsa at seven and four Houston. Houston favored by 12. Houston has an explosive offense on its worst day. It's They're all- playing like the team they should be playing. The question that everyone's asking is if they blow out Tulsa, let's say someone said 77-0, which ridiculous, but unlikely, but let's say then do they warrant and everything else happens the way they need it. Do they warrant some sort of consideration for championship? I forget the exact dynamic that they need. The first thing is they need UCF to lose. And then I forget the result. A lot of it hinges on UCF losing, to be honest. They cannot get in if UCF doesn't lose. And then I forget the result they need in Tulane Cincinnati. I think think they they need need Cincinnati to win because Cincinnati. Yeah. Because they lost to Tulane, which means, and they haven't played Cincinnati. So, yeah, they need Cincinnati to win. Yes. They, basically, they need tiebreakers to go their way. That's crazy. Um, um, I don't think it's going to be a problem. I don't think they're going to beat them 77 0, but I do think it'll be at least a two, three score game because Houston's offense fi- figured it out, right? Defensively, not great. I think Daenerys Prince runs up some yards on them. Um, I don't know in the air that'll be that great, but pretty good rushing defense last week against DCU. Oh, yeah. Well, right. ECU also played right. like absolute garbage. So, yeah, ECU was sleepwalking, but I'm just saying. Um, yeah, we'll see. No, I mean, Tulsa's defense is atrocious. Houston's going to get theirs on offense. Uh, would I be surprised if Tulsa gets a few, you know, to make it a little bit of a track meet for a while? No, but I think Houston wins relatively safely. What do you think? Yeah, I am going to also pick Houston. So. Yeah, Houston's got something to play for. Tulsa doesn't. I think that matters in these games. Um, also, yes, it does. Anyway, so that's week thirteen. Navy's not playing. They're prepping for uh, Army in a couple of weeks. Uh, that's week thirteen. That's the last week of the regular season, as it were, as it was, as it was. Uh, right before we start talking to Nick Anderson, I accidentally said that the uh, winner of the conference is probably going to the playoff. No, I meant the New Year Six. You know what I meant. Mm. Uh, but just oh, about, I didn't even notice that you said I, that. So I realized that as soon as I said it, but then Nick was on and I had to be, uh, had to shut up. <laughs> you didn't want to look bad in front of the cameras then, huh? <laughs> well, I just had to shut up. That's fair. <laughs> um, so a little bit of coaching, I guess. What do you think? How many coaches do you think end up losing their job or moving on in this conference this year is my first question to you, because I want to talk to you about a few things I've heard. I mean, I guess. All right, well, let's go through it. So Tulane, I think Willie Fritz, it's safe to say he's there. Cincinnati, I guess the only way that coaches like that would move on is if there's open positions somewhere they want to go. So I'll get does, to with Fritz. Does, do you think Fritz would? I've heard I don't Fritz think he would leave. Tech. No way. Oh, I, I, I don't believe it. I've heard Fritz to Georgia Tech's a pretty real rumor. Not necessarily for sure, but like on Georgia Tech's and they like him. Not, you know what I mean? But they also like I just don't think he would if they also, if they go also Mike Houston also interviewed for tech. 
but I don't think he's I don't think he would leave ECU. I don't think, I don't think he's taking the tech job. I can say with like 90% certainty that he interviewed for it. Well, we know Gus isn't going anywhere. Uh, I don't know about... When Lane Kiffin takes Auburn, the funniest thing would be for Ole Miss to then hire Gus. Oh, my God. No. That'd be funny. Gus, don't do it to yourself because you're happy now. Don't don't do it. I don't think he would do it, but I think it would be funny. (laughs) And then I don't think Holgerson... I mean, I don't know. I never know what he'll do. So, like, who really knows? Holgerson's fine because the big donor at Houston. Right. And I don't think he's not going to leave that money. Money people at Houston like him. And he's just, you know, he's fine. Uh, Fickle, most people are pretty convinced will only leave Cincinnati for either Notre Dame or Ohio State. And those aren't opening up this year. Right. So that's a a moot point. Um, SMU, obviously, Rhett Lashley's there. Navy, I don't see them. Some people have said that he needs to beat Army. Some people have said that. And I think they will beat Army, to be honest with you. And I'll be at that game. We're actually bringing Joey Chestnut to that game. So that's going to be epic in all kinds of ways. I think that they'll beat Army also. I think they'll beat Army. But I'll say this. I did reach out to both teams to do some stuff with Joey because, you know, I wanted an equal opportunity, like both do stuff with both service schools. Only one of them deigned to work with us and have Joey do stuff. The other one declined. So thought that was interesting and said that it's not a good fit, unfortunately. But what a, whatever. Did you see a Navy, not to get sidetracked from what mm-hmm. I was talking about? Did you see Navy drop their uh, space themed uniforms for the Army? Navy? Oh, did I see that? I literally did wrote a soliloquy on Twitter about it, describing each of the things about it. It was freaking incredible. Yeah, they got. I, I was told that Army is going to drop their Army Navy game uniforms uh, early next week, so probably Monday, Tuesday after they play this week. UMass this weekend. Go, um, go you, go you. Yeah, so look out for those Army uniforms. There's no way that Army's uniforms will be better than Navy's, though. Those Navy ones are insane. It's every year, though. Navy's are always better. Yeah, I don't know who does the design on that, but there anyway. So we talked about East Carolina. I guess Mike Houston interviewing around which is he, he's gaining interest from not high i mean I, I can't blame people for wanting him but i don't think he, he'll leave i don't think he'll leave this cycle but it's worth pointing out that he has interest from higher ranking jobs that's all maybe when whole nail after whole nailers is gone i mean maybe well, i don't know maybe they make a pact sure. and they leave together well at the end of I'm, the year i don't necessarily think that georgia takes the right job for him and i don't think he thinks yeah. it's the right job for him but i think I that he's acutely aware of say a Mac Brown at North Carolina retires that that would be the right job for him. Okay. Or if Interesting. You know, stuff like that, or if uh, Mike Loxley in Maryland decide, Hey, we've hit our, what we can do, which I don't think Maryland will, but it's an example. Um, I think he wants to stay in that region that he's always. Yeah. Been. I agree with you. On he's that. always been kind of a mid Atlantic regional coach though. Memphis, obviously we've talked about Silverfield may need to be removed if this weekend doesn't go well. So that's yeah, I think, TBD. Yeah. Silverfield, I think, is the seat's pretty warm. And I think it's, a loss to yeah. SMU would make it very, very hot at the very least yes. going into next year. Agreed. Uh, um, six and six ish, even seven and five, it's not good enough at Memphis for no. an aspirational program that really wanted to be moving to the Big 12 next yeah, year. Yeah, exactly. Th- thought that they should be considered, which, yeah. oh boy. And it's just, it's not good enough. Um, then we have Tulsa, which I we've talked about this. Point for Phil Montgomery, too. It, it's interesting think, because he's. I mean, if Houston wins 52 to 10, I'd get his ass out. Yeah, it's it's really hard for me to imagine Tulsa without him because he's been such like a, a staple there. Yeah, he's been but there. he's been there a while. And I think he's a good coach. I just I think it's hard. It's mm-hmm. sometimes it's just too hard. So we'll see. But yeah, we could see some movement there. Temple, obviously, safe, you know, rolling safe. with the stand rate and era. And then South Florida has already made their yeah, South Florida made their bed. So South Florida wants someone with Florida ties, head coaching experience. Those are the mm-hmm. two things they want. Uh, you know what name keeps popping up and won't go away for South Florida? Mm-hmm. Scott Frost. <laughs> I actually heard that and I laughed. Uh, I actually I heard that and you- I laughed. I, I had a whole rant on Twitter about how I don't think it makes sense for either side. I think if you're, oh, if you look at the last three coaches that South Florida had, they went Willie uh, Taggart, who say what you will about him now, which is, I think FAU needs to fire him. Um, mm-hmm. He was an up and coming coach with Florida ties who was doing well. 
and had had that head coaching experience and they hired him and it was pretty good at USF. You know what I mean? Yeah. The next coach they did the retread hire in Charlie Strong and it did not work out. The program regressed. Uh, then they went with the up and coming coach, Florida ties, but absolutely no head coaching experience in Jeff Scott and it was a disaster. Yeah. And my crazy for thinking you just need to find someone Florida ties who's up and coming and has that coaching experience again. Those are the things to me, it's really Simmons, the Florida uh, A&M head coach, by the way, is who they should hire. Interesting. Uh, okay. And you'll hear his name around that job a little bit, but I don't think you need Manny Diaz, Randy Shannon, Scott Frost, every other, every coach that's been fired at a better program in your state. I don't think you need that, you know? Yeah. I think you can. I don't like that. talking about coaching stuff because it makes me sad. Because you think about the families and you think about what the wives and the kids go through. And I, I've talked to too many coaches this year who have just talked about up and moving. And it's oh, just it's sad. A, it sucks. It, it does yeah. suck for the families. And everything. So I don't really, this is not my favorite topic. So, all right. I figured I'd get it in though because. Well, I'm proud of you for apple. squeezing that in there. Okay, get the juice out of the uh, apple. All right, guys, that is going to do it for this final week of regular season play minus Army Navy um, for the podcast. You guys can follow me on Twitter and Instagram at MLM, E-M-I-L-N-E-M. And you can follow Nick Anderson, who has an incredibly uh, gorgeous Instagram, by the way. He takes great pictures. Kim actually takes pictures for him. Um very well put together social media guy. So it's definitely worth a follow. He is Neasy.a underscore. So make sure you follow him. And then Dan, where can we follow you? At Dan underscore Morrison 96 on Twitter. Just tried and true. We love it. Yeah. All right. Well, I guess we'll see you guys next week with the answer to who will be in the AAC championship game. Absolutely. Maybe we could wrestle up another special guest. Who knows? We'll see what happens. We're on a roll. Have a great Thanksgiving holiday, whatever you celebrate. Stay safe. (laughs) We'll see you next time.